in the Navy. They're taught the best way to fight a storm or a hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. And this is a, a July 4th weekend, so we definitely want to celebrate. And after a video like that, I just want to say, well, I'm going to pray and in the service. So that kind of said everything we want to say. But I want to say thank you, guys. This is an amazing start for a new service right now. It's actually a new church. I don't know if you noticed, we've changed things around a little bit. John and I are uh, taking over while Rob's gone. Uh, we're gonna we're we're rebranding the church. It's now a uh, West Valley Skate Park Church. Um, yeah, we had an incredible VBS here all this week, and we're gonna show a video of that later, and you can see some highlights of it. But uh, we've got an amazing, amazing uh, children's director here, and she did a great job with all the with all the things that went on. So we want to celebrate that. So thank you here. Thanks for being online with us. Thanks for for joining us today. Um, I get an incredible opportunity here to start uh, a new service, a new series that we're doing. This, this, this series is Anchored Part 2. We're finishing going through the, the, the words in red in the book of John. And it's, it's, we, at the beginning of the year, we started off doing this. It was pretty incredible seeing all the, the powerful interactions of Jesus with people. And as we do the next five weeks, we'll continue to do that. Um, I want to start also by apologizing. I, I may end up going long today, and there's a reason for that. One, um, when, when, when I used to write sermons, I knew that seven pages of notes was the right amount. And then I noticed as I got older, I had to increase the font on my notes. Um, and so it went from seven to eight pages, and then from eight to nine, and then from... 9 to 15, and right now I think I have 37 pages of notes. So I don't know if I wrote a long sermon or I'm going blind. Either way, um, I apologize up front. Um, so <laughs> I want to go ahead and get started here because there's a, one of my, one of my uh, professors uh, made a story, told a point one time that was pretty important for, uh, for preaching. He said, there's a fine line between a long-winded sermon and a hostage situation. And I want to, I want to, I stayed to the left of that one. So um, we're talking about John 7, okay? This is, a, this is a great chapter in the book of John because it talks about something called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles is an important feast for the Jewish people. It's one of three feasts where every male in, in Israel had to go to the temple and present himself before the Lord. This was a specific feast that connected down to when they were taken out of Egypt by God and turned into a nation. And they were all living in tabernacles, in tents, out in the desert. So this, this, this feast is a celebration of that. And they would actually have to go to Jerusalem and live in tents in the area around there for this. And they, all these men would go and present this, these offerings to the, 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 the priest for sacrifices and, and, and for the, the temple. And it was pretty amazing time because it, it really turned out to be a huge party. Now, there was a ton of, of sacrifices being done, which kind of sounds a little bit strange why they'd, they'd kill, uh, you know, a thousand animals. But the reason they were doing this wasn't just to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, but whenever they did a sacrifice like that, they'd burn a small portion of it on the altar. The priest would keep a small portion of it and they'd give the rest back to the people. 
So what this meant was a huge barbecue going on for a ton of people in Jerusalem over the course of eight days. So this is a really important festival for them. It's, it's one that everyone showed up to. And because of that, you kind of know what happens at parties, you know, when people are there. You get a bunch of people talking about things like, well, politics, culture, and religion, just like now. That's, that's exactly what they were doing. They were talking about all these, these things that were going on, and it all centered around Jesus Christ. Because they'd heard about him, they'd heard about him possibly being the Messiah, and they were confused and talking a lot. Well, it starts out with him talking to his brothers. At the beginning of John 7, Jesus talking to his brothers, and the challenging part for him is they don't believe in him. Can you imagine coming and being the savior of the world and your own brothers and the family that you're born into think you're crazy? Well, it starts out in John 7, verses 3 through 5. It says, Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. It says, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works for you. No one wants to become a public, who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things now, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. How difficult must that have been for him? So he decides to go to this, and even though he's going without his brothers, they're going in a separate place, he goes and he listens to people, and the people around there aren't believing in him. They're talking about him, and some people are saying that, that he's a good man. And some people are saying, well, he's a, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a prophet. But no one is really believing that he is who he says he is. They didn't believe him or recognize him. Verses 10 through 13, it says, However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also went, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus, asking, Where is he? Among the crowds, there were widespread whispering about him. Some people said, He's a good man. Others said, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say publicly anything about him for fear of the leaders. So Jesus had been in the area doing miracles, healing people, providing food for people, and yet no one wanted to speak up about him and say anything about him. I bet there were people in this crowd whom he'd healed, and they were more afraid of the Jewish leaders than of recognizing that Christ had performed a miracle with them. Can you just imagine what Christ must have been feeling, being in this party where everyone's celebrating an incredible feast, feat of God by bringing them out of Egypt, and they're not even recognizing the value and the good and the powerful love that Jesus was providing them in the name of God. At this point in time, everything that's going on that Jesus is hearing is just noise. It's, it's distraction. It's, it's not anything that's of value. People are trying to argue what they believe. This is a party to celebrate God and People are coming up with, well, no, he's this, no, he's this, no, he's, he's something, that, something else. And they're not even uniform in that. Because the, the people who are in charge want to hurt him. And they're afraid of the people. And the people don't want to say anything because they're afraid of the people in charge. It's nothing but a state of confusion. And that confusion just continued going on. 
Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. Verse 14. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my own teaching is not from me. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of God, who seeks the glory of the one who sent him, is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has Moses given you the law? Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? They responded, you are demon-possessed, the crowd said. Who's trying to kill you? So their answer to him was, he says this, I've done these incredible things here. I'm teaching. You, you can see that I'm a great teacher, that I know everything that I'm talking about. You don't know how it comes from, and yet you want to kill me. And their answer to him is, you're demon-possessed. Now, that wasn't a religious thing they were saying. What they were saying is, you're crazy. They looked on Christ like he was an idiot. Here's a man who made tons of food come out of nothing, who walked on water in front of some of these people, who healed people. The blind saw, lepers were cleansed, and yet they still think he's crazy. How do you think that made him feel? He gave nothing but love and saw nothing but hate, arrogance, and foolishness in return. Jesus responded, he said, I did one miracle. You were all amazed. But Moses gave you circumcision. Though actually, actually, it didn't cover Moses, but from the patriarchs. You circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry for me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. They were performing medical procedures on the Sabbath, and that was okay, but Jesus healing someone by a word wasn't. These people were confused. These people were focusing on the wrong things. These people were not looking at God. They were looking at themselves. Verse 25, at the same time, point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Now, a second later, earlier, they were saying, you're crazy for thinking someone's trying to kill you, and yet other people are going, yeah, you're the guy that people are trying to kill. Here, he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one's going to know that. See, the Pharisees wanted to arrest him, but they couldn't because they were afraid of the people. And yet the people think he's crazy. And yet some people thought he was the Messiah. This is nothing but noise. Everything that Christ was hearing was noise. And it was not something that was glorifying God or giving the people any value. It reminds me a lot of today. I sign on to social media occasionally just to really basically look at the secret page that John Stahlberg set up. It's got all his cat videos on it. Um, but the, you know, the, I'll look at things, I'll see on my feed the stuff that'll come through, and it's just all about, well, hate and arguments and people trying to decide who's right and who's wrong. And everyone presents everything like it's like they're a master of it. And they know everything. And if there's any kind of a real problem that comes up in the world or some tragedy or something that the world has to band together to find out, out a solution for, all of a sudden, everyone who has a social media account turns into a lawyer, a judge, a Supreme Court justice, and a doctor all at the same time. 
they've got everything locked down because they saw some video and they share some video that someone else put. I got a video from someone they sent me one time and it was, I forgot what the point was because it didn't make any sense. And the thing that they were sending me though, they said, this proves exactly why a you know, the Bible is not being used right and that the government is B or whatever. I don't know what it was, but he showed me, he said, this is a news agency that put this out. And he sent me the video. I looked at it and I started to smile immediately because I could tell by the video, the way it was put, that it was the exact same system we use for our online system. It had all the same software in it, which means he could have bought that on Amazon. This was a guy in his basement putting this out. And my buddy was looking at this like it was the source to believe because he found it on the internet. That's just noise. That doesn't mean anything. In, in this world, we're focusing on the wrong things and we're not noticing the, the trauma, the toxic nature of everything that's around us. Years ago, we, uh, we used to go down to downtown LA and feed the homeless. And I, I'd take a group down of 30, 40 people sometimes, and we'd get in a bunch of cars and get a bunch of trucks together and load the trucks full of, of clothes and food. And we'd actually go, and we had a method of doing it. We'd pull up on the side of the road, about 3rd in L.A., sometimes 4th in L.A. Um, there's a spot down there that there's a, there's, a, there's a nice little quiet street where there's a ton of homeless people living. And we'd park the two trucks back-to-back, and they'd have all the gear in it. We'd put uh, tables out so people could come up to the tables and they'd get food, they'd get some clothes, they could ask if, they, if we had something and we'd look for it in the trucks and give it to them. It worked out pretty good. And we did it for years. Well, one time, I'm, we set everything up and I kind of stepped back and stepped out into the street just kind of to watch everything and make sure everyone was safe. And, and as, we're watching, as I'm watching this, a guy comes up and rides a bicycle up to me. And he stops, he looks, he goes, is this for everybody? And I said, yeah, yeah, go and get some. And he said, he said oh, this is, this is great. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, do you mind if I set my bike here? And I'll go get it. And I said, yeah, sure. Good, put your bike there. And I'll watch it. And so he goes and gets in line. <clears throat> and while he's in line, he gets some burgers or whatever food we had. Sometimes we had, we had burritos. And so he got some food and then he got a couple of oranges to take with him. And then he went and he got some, some clothes, some socks and some underwear and, and stuff that had been given. And he's got a bag full of stuff. He's, he's, he's happy. And he comes back to me and he goes, yeah, thanks a lot. You guys are doing a really good job. Thank you for doing this. I said, yeah, we're glad to do this. And it's just showing God's love. He goes, yeah, you're doing a great job, except... And then right after that, he started giving me the list of things that we were doing wrong and how we could do them better. And I'm going, well, that's, that's great. Thanks. I appreciate your input. <laughs> you know? And he goes, no, really, you should listen to me. I was, a, I was a CEO of a corporation. I was an executive vice president. I know all these things. I was a Fortune 500 company. I've got this. I've got this. He starts giving me his resume of all these incredible things he's done. And he just kept on about all the things we're doing wrong. And after a while, I, I got a little fed up. And I just kind of looked at him and I said, well, what happened? Why'd you... If you were that in life, how did you end up down here? And he looks at me and goes, down here? What? I'm not like these people. I'm not this. I got a bike. (laughs) And I looked at him going, wow. He didn't even see it. He thought that somehow because he had a bike, that he was less homeless than the rest of the people. And he didn't see how far he'd fallen. And that's the challenge. We don't see the toxic nature of the world around us. We actually engage it. It's like playing with a feral cat and trying to figure out why you got scratched. Which is, half, which is fun, by the way. I've, I've done it. But it's the, the things that are around us want to hurt us, and we're picking them up and playing with them 
like they're fun and furry. That's noise. That's what Christ saw with all those people around him. Just noise. See, the problem that they had, we want to look back and think, well, they, have, they, they had a great uh, religious education because that's what the, the temple provided. That's what the synagogues provided. And that's really not what they had. They had an understanding of Scripture. They knew it. They memorized it. When you don't have television and you don't have places you can go at night, you memorize a lot of Scripture. So they did. That's, the people knew the Scripture. They just didn't understand it. And because the people who were talking about it in the temples and in the, in the synagogues were, were just giving their viewpoints. And there were so many different ones. There was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the ultra-conservative people. And then there was the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were, they were, they were more the moderates. You know what the moderates do? They sit in the middle, thing, throw rocks at both sides, you know? And then, and then they had the Essenes, and the Essenes were people who wanted to just get out. They wanted to go live up on a hill someplace, get away from everything. And then, then they had the Zealots, and the Zealots were the anarchists. They wanted to destroy everything, burn it to the ground, start over. And then they had the Hellenists. And the Hellenists were the ones who were going, hey, the Romans are here. Let's embrace it. Let's grab hold of it. Let's, let's, let's change our religion to let them be involved and we can do it like they do it. And, 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 and God will like that. They were the progressives. And the problem is, all of that was a bunch of noise and none of it was the real sound that God wanted them to hear. So years ago, I worked at uh, Sears. When I was in college. I worked in the lawn and garden department. I sold lawnmowers and blowers and all that kind of stuff. Um, if you were one of my customers, I apologize. So the one guy comes in one day, and, and he's, you know, he's got a whole lot of work to do, and he says, i got trees in my backyard. i got a bunch of trees to cut down. He says, what do you have? And I took him over to the chainsaws, and I picked up this 20-inch steel chainsaw, and I said, this is on sale right now. It's a great thing. This will cut down five trees within an hour. And he goes, great, I'll take that. So he bought it and left. Two days later, he comes back. He says, this thing's a piece of junk. He said, I couldn't cut down one tree. I worked on it all day. I'm like, all right, well, let's see what's wrong. So I pulled it out of the box, popped it open, looked in decent shape, uh, popped a gas can, the, the cap off of it, and I looked, and there wasn't any gas in it. So I grabbed some, put a bit of gas into it, screwed it back on, and then I pulled it, started it, and started right up. Guy looks at me and goes, what's that noise? The problem is that he's focusing on the wrong things like everybody else in life. We focus on the stuff that's directly in front of us and miss what God is wanting to give us. We don't hear the right sounds. Jesus wanted to do something about that. He wanted to walk in and destroy the noise. So he walked in and said, I'm going to change this. On the last day, he decided to push it and say, I'm going to tell you something you've never heard. So the last day of the festival, there was some big thing going on, and it was, it, this, this, it was a huge day. They called it the Day of Hosanna, the Great Day of Hosanna, because they, they took all these palm fronds that they'd been, they'd been waving around and, and playing with music and, and, and using and throughout the week, and they took them and they beat them on the altar until they turned to dust. And then a procession of people, a couple thousand people, would walk down through the water gate, down into the Pool of Siloam, with one of the priests and a gold pitcher. And the priest would take water out of the pool of Siloam and carry it back up to where the altar was. This would take a long time to do this with that many people. Take this, walk up, and then from that, he'd hold it up in the air and he would pour it out facing west while people quoted Isaiah 12, 3. And it says, 
Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Well, Jesus got tired of hearing the noise and seeing this, and he said, all right, I'm going to tell you something. And he walked up, and on, it says in verse 37, on the, great, the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Jesus was claiming to be the source of that living water. That's really important because being the source of living water meant something. Everyone knew the book of Jeremiah. They had it memorized. And Jesus was quoting words out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13 says, Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Chapter 17, verse 12 says, A glorious throne exalted from the beginning is the, pl- the palace is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Yahweh, the spring of living water. Jesus stood in the middle of the courtyard of the temple and proclaimed with a loud voice to let everybody know, I am God. I am the living water, the spring of living water. That's me. That's powerful. That stood up and told everybody, stop bickering, stop arguing, stop trying to prove how right you are. And listen, I am the authority, the one you are supposed to listen to. On a side note, by the way, I practice my sermons and I practice the cadence of them when we say certain things. Um, And I knew I was going to be saying that in a very impassioned manner. And my wife last night said, uh, let's watch a movie. And she wanted to watch Guardians of the Galaxy. And I thought about that for a second. I went, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no way. I can't do that because I get stuck in my head. And then tomorrow morning when I get this point, I'm going to say, and Jesus said, I am Groot. (laughs) Wouldn't have come out the same way. So Jesus was shutting down all the noise. That was the whole point of what he was saying. I'm telling you, I am God. I'm the authority. And people still missed the point. It was right there in front of them. They didn't see it. So years ago, I went to Pepperdine University, and it's a great university, and if you ever get a chance to send your kids there, I'd suggest you do it. So uh, one of the things that happens in the spring is they have events where they can bring prospective students and their parents in to go and stay on campus and to, to actually sit in class and see what it's like and so that the kids can see it's a great place. And you can notice it. You see it happening. You know what, you know what, the, what the families are, are there and what they're doing because the kids are looking around going, this is amazing. Look at all this. This is great. And the, the mom and the father, they're looking down going like, how am I going to pay for this? This is, yeah, this is bad. You know, so, so you can see him. And as I was walking to class, I noticed there was a guy who was looking up at the monolith. So there's a huge monolith on top of, of, of Pepperdine School there that George Pepperdine set up. It's like 150 feet tall, and it's a cross. And you can see it from pretty much anywhere in Malibu. And he did that on purpose because he wanted people to know this is a Christian college. He did that to show everybody this place teaches Christ. And as I was walking by, this guy's staring up at it, and he says, excuse me, sir. So what? He goes, this is Pepperdine University, right? I said, yeah, Pepperdine University. He said, with a P, right? 
And I said, yeah, with a P. And he said, what's the T stand for? <laughs> I kind of smiled and I looked at him. And I said, well, that's easy, sir. It stands for Christianity. <laughs> I got to meet the dean of students later that day. He wasn't as happy with that answer. You know? The problem is that his, Israel's history has had plenty of people in it that have missed the point. They chose to accept the job God gave them and not, the, not understand that God was the authority. King Saul was like that. In 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 13, we hear the story about how King Saul had been made king and that the first thing he was supposed to be doing was to wipe out the Amalekites, to literally destroy them, wipe them off the face of the earth, burn everything. And he sent his people in and rather than doing that, they defeated them and then plundered them and kept a bunch of stuff. And Samuel sees this and he's, he's frustrated. And God looks at him and to Samuel and says, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, I, that I, I regret that I actually put Saul in charge. Can you imagine doing something that God regrets because of? And then Saul goes, or Samuel goes and confronts Saul. And if you take a look at this in verse 22, that Samuel looks at Saul because Saul tells him that there's, they're going to sacrifice all these animals to God. And, and Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul was trying to, to, to say, I'm king, I'm, I, and because of that, I can do things the way I want to do them. He wasn't understanding the authority. The real authority was God. He was king. Saul just had a job. There was a, there was a rancher in Texas who was working out on his, on, his, on his farm, and a guy pulls up, and he steps out, and he's, he's a water inspection agent. He's uh, supposed to be looking at where the water tables are and where the, the water is being pulled from to, to, to figure out where the, how the ranches are growing things. And he, he comes out, and he walks onto the, to the ranch's property, and he says, okay, here's, here's my badge. I'm from the government, and, and I'm here to inspect your, your ranch. And the guy goes, okay, sure, go ahead. Look at where you want. Just don't go over in that field. And the guy looks at him and says, no, I'm going anywhere I want to. See this badge? This badge says I can go anywhere I want to and you can't stop me. And the guy goes, okay. So guy runs over, jumps over the fence and goes in that field first. The rancher just keeps working. A couple seconds later, he hears yelling and screaming and he walks over to that fence and the, the, ranch, the, the, the agent's running back to him with a bull chasing him. The guy's screaming and the, the rancher looks at him and says, show him your badge. <laughs> See, we think we have authority in our lives because, well, it's our lives. The reality is God is the authority, and that's what Christ was saying to those people. He is the authority, and they should be listening to him. And then with that, Christ was saying, and because you're listening to me as the authority, I'm telling you what happens. So the next day he's talking about, the next thing he's talking about is this, the living water that's pouring out of that. But then he, John tells us what that means. In verse 39, it says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, as rivers um, of living water will flow from them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those believed in were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So great, I can figure this out. It's the spirit. 
that's how what I'm going to get for believing that Jesus Christ is the authority. The Spirit's going to come through me. What does that mean? Because <laughs> I, I love researching things. I love figuring things out. I love learning. I love all that. That's great. But when it comes to my life in Christ, I want something simple that I can understand because I know I don't want to overthink it. So, so I'm looking at this and I'm trying to understand the Spirit. And a lot of people think a lot of things about that. It's this, this inner thought that you get that kind of tells you what the answers are, you know, or, or, it's, or it's something that gives you a, a set of peace that, that you know that, that, that um, I'm going to make the right decision because of this or, or that I'm going to be able to witness to someone because of this. I, I suppose those things are real, but I don't think that's what Christ was talking about because he's talking about something flowing from us. He's talking about something just with power coming from like a fountain pouring out water. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, yeah, there's a, there's a better answer to that. There's a better answer. And that, that, that comes to out of, out of uh, Galatians 5. Because Paul talks about it. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, and then gives a list of things. And that's what Christ was talking about. He talks about the Spirit. It's, it's the, the fruit, the, the thing that comes with the Spirit that should be coming from us. So Galatians 5, 22 through 25, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live with the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul is telling us that the power, the fruit, is being from the Spirit, is, is being with the Spirit, living with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit. Everything that is flowing are these attributes that are coming. And Paul's really clear about this. He calls it the fruit. The Greek word used there for fruit isn't for like a specific fruit or anything. It literally means crops. It just means anything that's growing up out of the ground. And why that's important and why it should be important to us is that's everything they ate. That was, if you didn't eat food that was growing out of the ground, you'd die. It's that important. Because they didn't get to meet, eat meat all the time. Matter of fact, it was a delicacy for them. So he's saying, the stuff that's going to be pouring out of you are this list of things. And we kind of look on that sometimes like it's a, a list of things we should be think of, thinking about building and growing in us and learning. And, you know, I should think about being peaceful and I should think about this. These are characteristics. They're not goals to attain. These are things that God is instilling in you as a gift of the Holy Spirit. All you've got to do is activate it in your life and follow it and do it by recognizing Christ as the authority in your life. First thing is love. Love is one of those ones that's dangerous because the world defines love very different than Jesus does. The world defines love in a way that is utterly confusing and completely full of noise. See, according to the world, we're supposed to accept their views because we love. We're not only supposed to accept the world's views, we're supposed to encourage the world's views, and that would be love. And not only encourage the world's views, they say we should take part in the world's views if we truly loved. That's not love. That's surrender. I'm sorry, for me, love is something far more powerful than that. Love is commitment. Love is commitment to God. 
the word says I'm supposed to be sensitive and I'm supposed to listen and accept people for who they are. Well, I can do that and not accept everything they do. I mean, that's the reality in this world. I'm never going to agree 100% with everyone around me. That doesn't mean I love anyone any less. Because love has something to do with me wanting the best for them. The world says that right now there's thousands of identities and everybody can find their own identity. That's a, that's a bunch of garbage. There's one identity for us. We are children of God. We are followers of Christ. That's my identity. That's who I am. Everything else in life I do is a choice. I can choose to follow an easier path. I can choose to follow a harder path, but it's still a choice for me. But my identity is in Christ. Now, here's something that's really important about this, too, because there's, a, there's another side we need to pay attention to as Christians. I am saying powerfully, I'm not going to listen to garbage told to me by the world about what I'm supposed to do and their calling it love. At the same point in time, the last thing I'm going to do is walk around with the Bible like a baseball bat and start knocking people down, saying how wrong they are. That's not what God wants us to do. You know, the world doesn't need to hear everything I disagree with about them. We don't need to be walking around and telling someone else what they've done is wrong. Think about it. If someone walked up to your door and said, by the way, I just want you to know your lawn is horrible. You didn't do this right, didn't do this right, didn't do this right. I mean, the first thing I'm going to do is turn the sprinklers on them. And that's the first thing. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to anybody who just starts off insulting me. So why would we do that to people? Why would we walk on to social media and put up a big meme that says everybody else is wrong and I'm right. It says the world is going to hell and we are the only ones that have the right answer. Well, there's truth in that. But is that the lead? Is that what I want people to hear the first thing? How about telling the first thing, you know, Jesus loves you. Real love, committed love. That'll change your life. All you got to do is accept it. That's love. Joy. <laughs> we walk around sometimes you know, with such a sour disposition because things aren't going our way. That's not living in joy. Because joy doesn't come out of circumstance. Joy comes out of a simple fact. Jesus Christ died for us and destroyed the entity that was wrong, the sin within us, the stench of death and the sin that was in us. He destroyed that, took that away, and then dressed us in, in just incredible fancy robes and put us in an incredible feast forever. That's joy. And we know we have that. So are we living with joy? Are we expecting it comes out of circumstances because I was able to buy a nice car or I got a nice job or, or something happened that was a good thing for me and my family? That stuff's not joy. Joy is recognizing that God gave me life and because of that, now I am joyful. Peace. The word peace here, it's a military term. It literally means the lack of war. So you might look on that and why would Paul use that? What he is saying is the war's over. God won. He defeated it. He defeated sin. Because of that, you can be at peace. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about trying to find a way to get the best out of life. God will give you the best out of life because you're his child. That's peace. True peace. Forbearance. This is a fun one because there's a direct connection to this word that goes back to the Old Testament and where God forbeared, he, did not, he chose not 
to pour his wrath out onto the Israelites for the sins that they were committing. Well, that's forbearance. Um, they called it long-suffering, but that doesn't actually make as much sense to what Paul's saying, because what Paul is saying is that forbearance has a lot more to do with contentment because of the world he's given. You have been given so much, and yet it's so easy for us all, and I say us, because I'm in that same boat, to look around and go, oh, what he's got is cool. Ooh, I like that. I want that. And we lose contentment immediately because we stop seeing the beauty that God has given us. So I'm taking a group to Kenya in about a month, and, and I love taking people to Kenya because you, you drive around, and, and there are spots in Nairobi that look like Burbank. You know, there's some beautiful homes and some beautiful things, and then you literally cross railroad tracks. And as soon as you cross railroad tracks, you're in Mad Max Thunderdome. I mean, it looks so different. And you go there and you see how can people live in this terrible environment? They live in houses that people around here, they're smaller than what the places where people are putting their lawnmowers here and the places we put lawnmowers here are in better condition than the houses that people are living in over there in the slums. And, you know, we think, oh, this would be terrible. And you see the kids going to school there and they've got these just, just experiences of contentment. They're happy. They're, they're, they're joyful. Because they recognize it's not in the circumstances, it's in the Savior that causes contentment. So I've been working on my doctorate for um, the last couple of years, and then my head was poured into a book <laughs> almost every day you know, for an entire time. That meant there was a lot of work around my house didn't get done. <laughs> a lot of maintenance on things that needed to get done and stuff that I wanted to get done. So I walk outside, and my, uh, my backyard's a little beat up. You know, there's just concrete and walls, and then there's spots where the concrete's all cracked and needs to be worked out. And there's, uh, there's, there's places that need to be uh, repainted and, and cleaned up. The overhangs in bad shape, and you know, all these things that I look at and go like, yeah, I could look at that and just be, wow, I just, I'm not content, I'm not happy. And yet, every day in that backyard, my wife and I can look at the sunset because my house is aimed at the west from the back, and you can see this panoramic view of the mountains. So we'll sit and we'll watch the sunset every night and just sit there and be content because God gave me that. I can't do enough work in my backyard to make it look like that. I don't need to worry about the circumstances around me. I just need to be able to sit and watch the sunset and recognize that God is the author of contentment. Kindness. The Bible's telling us to be kind. And this isn't, this isn't like something other than, than, than actually being kind to your neighbor. Doing things for people because you're trying to be kind. There are all kinds of reasons in this world why we don't want to be kind. But all we need to do is recognize what it says in Romans 2.4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? If people don't like you, they will never listen to you. That's just always true. So be kind to people so they'll listen to you. Goodness. Goodness is a simple thing. It's a reflection of the goodness of God through us. It's just being morally excellent. We use the word moral like it's a good thing. Moral's innate. It doesn't mean anything. Moral excellence means something. The world says a person is a moral person. Everyone's a moral person. They're either good or they're bad. 
This is saying, be excellent. Wow, I just got Bill and Ted in my head. Be excellent. That is what goodness means. Reflect God. Faithfulness. This one's simple. Be trustworthy. Do what you say you're going to do. Do what you've proclaimed to God you're going to do. Be unwavering in what you say and do. Gentleness. Be humble. Be gentle. Be willing to listen to people. Allow yourself to be a kind person and listen to people. The last one is self-control, and that one's, that one's really hard. Because that one's saying, I need to be willing to sacrifice and not do the things that I want to do that I know are bad for me. I need to have control in my own life. I need to be willing to say no and put up with the fact that something difficult might come because I know it's bad for me if I say yes. Half the things we just talked about are outward things and half of them are inward things. God is saying, these are the characteristics you will have because of the Spirit. These are characteristics you will have because I am flowing through you like water. These are characteristics you're going to have because I am God, the authority, giving you the ability to live in this life full of spirit that I am pouring out of a fountain like water. It all depends on what water we choose to drink. So I just want to ask, what water are you wanting to drink? And what water are you drinking every day? Let's pray. Father God, you are God. And Lord, may every day we know you, we trust you, and Father, may we see you. Lord, take away the fear we have in this world so that we can rely on you and allow the Spirit to pour out of us and change the world around us. Thank you. Your name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Your tender mercies and your love that you've always shown